When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman on a Sunday morning after what a wild, wild Saturday in college football, Bruce. We went into it all amped up for Georgia, Tennessee. We came out of it. I think you would agree. The story of the night ended up being LSU taking down Alabama, eliminating Alabama from the playoff in early November. When is when's the last time that has happened? Are we positive that if Alabama wins out, they would have no shot at making the playoff? Well, I made a mistake on Twitter last night. And, you know, if you dare to mess something up, you're going to hear about it. At first, I did say I forgot that that I forgot that um, LSU's first loss is non-conference. So I'm thinking if Valley Chu turns around and loses, you know, next week, Alabama's right back in the SEC title game, but they're not. They would need LSU to lose twice. LSU plays Arkansas and A&M in a non-conference game. I don't remember. Um they're not going to lose twice and Alabama is not going to get in unless they were had a chance to win the sec. Yeah, that's a good point. The other team you're, you're not talking about both of those games, by the way, are on the road and then they play UAB in the middle. Who's not that good this year. So right. I think it's a stretch to expect them to lose. Maybe they go one and two, you know, like Arkansas just lost to Liberty and A&M has lost the most games in a row. It's had in like 40 plus years. So, I guess the way LSU is playing, I would be surprised if they lose either of those games. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about what happened Saturday night. Let's so to me, there's two sides of this thing. There's the LSU side, which to me is, you know, certainly the Jaden Daniels, Brian Kelly part of it, which, um, and Tiger stadium on Saturday night and all that. And then there's the Alabama side, which I feel like is even, is a bigger discussion, quite honestly. Um, so let's start, let's start about the LSU though. Um, to me, what is Max Olson and I do this? Uh, we've done it. We did it last year. Was the the top 100 impact transfers, and Jaden Daniels has played a lot, but he was kind of the Pac-12's Bo Nix. You know, maybe not quite to that degree, but you know, is a hyped recruit, played a lot, did did some good, but did some not so good on the field. And this was a fresh start, and I'm not sure anybody, Stu looked at him, you know, there was people who thought Garrett Nussmeyer, who is a really talented younger quarterback, would end up being the guy. Um, you know, what's crazy to me is, and look, I give Joe Sloan, who's the, who's the QB coach there, a credit too. I mean, they worked with him and just the, the buzzword that I was told was just like decisive. You got to be decisive and attack because they felt like he took care of the ball reasonably well. But you see a guy, and I look back at this stat, 10 touchdowns, 10 picks last year. Well, now it's 14 to 1 this year. Dramatic difference. He keeps getting better. Like, thought he was kind of shaky in that FSU loss. Last night, I mean, I think you and I both have a ton of respect for Bryce Young. Um, And he was was remarkable at times last night when he didn't have much around him. And Jaden Daniels answered. I mean, I thought that was, to me, the story is how good just how much of a leader he is taking kind of, um, you know, basically taking that team and he gives them an identity and they hadn't had that, you know, in the last couple of years, it, you know, went from Joe Burrow's team to really a rudderless offense. And now they have that, you know, and he just finds a way to keep making plays. And, uh, you know, the, the Brian Kelly side to me, which is interesting on top of it is because we know it was a, you know, there were some rocky moments in the transition, but here's Brian Kelly, who in the previous nine years at Notre Dame had a lot of good teams. He only had two wins over top 10 teams in the previous nine years were like two and 11. Um, 
And now in the last eight days, he's beaten two top 10 teams, including Alabama. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, how things are going right wow. now. About Rouge. This is why he took the job. And obviously a lot of people were skeptical, thought he might be a bad fit. I had my reservations myself, certainly after that, um, you know, that, that, that weird family thing, <laughs> but you know, it was interesting last night. I mean, he, started tearing up in his interview with Holly Rowe. That is not a side of Brian Kelly I've ever seen um, because it was exactly what he came there to do coming to life already. I think we all assumed given the state of that roster, it might take a couple years and it obviously got off to a rough start this season, but here he is taking down Saban who obviously, you know, handed him his most embarrassing loss at Notre Dame in the national championship game beat them pretty bad in the playoff semifinal. He's never come out and said this directly, but we know this. He realized he was never going to be able to do this at Notre Dame. They had a lot of good teams, like you said, but when they would play the very best, there was still a gap. And now he knows he has access to the best players in America. And I mean, just the, the, the stones to go for two on that play. Now, Brody Miller had a great story uh, from the game, our LSU writer. And he brought up, and I hadn't thought of it, the, what happened in the Florida State game when the extra point got blocked at the end. And once I read that, I was like, oh, of course he was going to go for two. Like, And he said it himself. He's like, I didn't, I wanted the ball in Jaden Daniels' hand on the last play. He didn't want it on anybody else's, you know, up to anybody else. So it makes sense that he went for it. I think it's pretty cool that it was the same exact play as the as the one at, against Florida State in 2014 that got called for an illegal pick, and so you you know wow what a what a paradigm shifting moment. Um, I want to get into Alabama, who has been living dangerously this season, and this is this just so surreal that I think they're going to be going to. They should probably still go to a New Year's Six Bowl, but they're not. They're not going to the playoff. They could lose this week to Ole Miss and end up in like the Outback Bowl. Who knows? But something's just not quite right there. I mean, I think we both agree that Bryce Young is a phenomenal player, and he certainly did everything in his power to try to win that game at the end. But he's not getting any help, and here they are. Yeah, you look at it, Stu. So, you know, we both saw him at uh, at Texas week two. They – we're lucky, very fortunate to get out of there with a win, but you saw issues in that, that day. And it was, they gave up, a, they gave up a, uh, a bunch of big plays. Their secondary looked really shaky, right? Even some plays that didn't hit that were there that maybe got missed. And that was really only with a half of, of a healthy quarterback because Ewers got hurt and then Hudson card got hurt and was gimping around. They win 2019 then they they uh, they almost lose to a Texas A&M team that, as we've talked about a lot, is horrible right now. And they almost lost that game. It came down to the wire. They they give up 52 to Tennessee, and you and I both think Tennessee's really good, and they've proven that. But still, they gave up a ton of, of points, and they got really, again, more discipline issues, more more problems, certainly in the secondary, which had always been a Nick Saban staple and i want to call back to something that one of our uh loyal listeners had i noticed this on on uh, my timeline early this morning uh parish walton who is from mm -hmm. you know based in georgia bulldog country and he said he tweeted this out early early this morning uh, i sent this email to at bruce feldman cfp and at sl mandel in late july for the audible podcast turns out i was wrong about the secondary being good but most of this checks out and I wanted his email was, is Bama overrated? And this was from the summer. Last week in the pod, Stu mentioned Bama as a prohibitive favor for the national title this year, saying they were, quote, loaded, end quote. Are they, though? I know doubting Saban and the Tide rarely ends well, but I see potential areas of concern along with the offensive along the offensive line at receiver, running back depth after Gibbs, and in the interior along the D-line and linebacker. This Bama team is loaded at spots, but I anticipate the O-line being the weakest Bama O-line we've seen in the perhaps in the past decade. The pass rush and secondary are going to be absurdly good. 
But am I crazy thinking Ohio State or Georgia could absolutely beat them come the fall and winter? Apparently, you weren't crazy, Parrish. Um, and that you're right. The secondary was the part where I think we just chalked it up as there's some experience back there and there's a lot of five stars or guys who are like that. But, you know, I think one of the things that is probably frustrating for Alabama fans you know, Bill O'Brien's the offensive coordinator there last year in his first year there. He, he had a basically a freshman win a Heisman, Bryce Young. And I still think if you ask me right now who are the two best players in college football on offense and on defense, I would say Alabama has that. I still think Bryce Young is the best player. I just don't think he has the help around him. You know, the drop off in receivers that Alabama has from now compared to where they were most of the last like nine years is dramatic. And Jamar Gibbs, I feel like, covers up a lot of stuff. The offensive line is not great. The the receivers is not is not is it wouldn't even be in probably the top fifteen groups of receivers. And I think you're seeing that. You know, you're just seeing that. And also, it's not a you know Aaron Suttles, our Alabama writer, wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. You're seeing a team that is not very disciplined. Lots of penalties, just lots of sloppiness. They don't take care of the ball particularly well. Um, and it's come back to bite them. And I think, look, for all as great as Nick Saban is, and I think he's the best college football coach ever, but like, you know, there's going to be some times where it just, it, there are misfires. And clearly that's the case here. I don't know if they go to the, where'd you say they were going to go to the Blockbuster Bowl if they lose this weekend <laughs> or whatever? So, uh, the, the, actually, it's not even called the Outback Bowl anymore. It's the Relia Quest Bowl. Okay. Well, Whatever that is, I think that look, no one's going to feel sorry for Nick Saban. I still wouldn't write them off. Like I feel like whoever um, is going to get them coming up. Like the thing that was was interesting to me watching this game and I'm watching on the plane was Nick Saban started chasing points pretty early in the game. I thought, or like at the beginning of the fourth quarter, they score a touchdown, so they're up by one, and then they they don't get the two point play, and then they score again. You know, midway through the the fourth quarter and they go for it again. If he had just kicked one of the PATs when Reichardt makes the, the kick at the, at the end of the fourth quarter, then they win the game, you know? And so, I mean, you know, obviously those kind of decisions, I mean, he was being aggressive, but it's just like, you always hear coaches talking about when you chase the points and when you don't, it just seemed like it was a little early to do that, to go up by a field goal. Yeah, I would agree. Um, What's crazy is like we're sitting here talking about the possible downfall of the Nick Saban empire. Oh, we're not. I, we're not. We're talking about the downfall of this team. We're not. Yeah. Talking about the well, I think this team is extremely flawed, and yet it's which is why it's crazy to think that they had a chance to win on the last play of both games that they've lost. Um, they also had the chance to, to to lose on the last play of the A and M game. So I, I don't want to. Like and, and they were very fortunate to come back and beat Texas. So yeah. they've, they've been living right on the. And so here's the thing. I don't I don't know who to criticize more here. Um, you've mentioned Bill O'Brien. And I, I do like Jameer Gibbs is fantastic, but they don't really like he's not a workhorse. They don't use him that way. He had um, 15 carries last night. He had 10 carries last week against Mississippi State. You know, over the years. For years and years, right, we know that Nick Saban's Alabama teams were very smash-mouth. And then I would say starting with Tua as the quarterback and all those great receivers, understandably, they became much more of a passing team. And this might have been a year where you needed to pivot back, but they haven't. Um, they continue to play as if they have all those great receivers, but they don't. And it feels like, you know, I mean, Bryce Young was doing his Houdini thing again last night. He had that, you know, amazing escape and then on the run throws a 40 something yard touchdown. Um, but part, you know, it's cause his receivers aren't open. So he has to do that. He has to buy time and they, they're not able to just, you know, run the ball down your throat anymore. That being said here, we're talking offense, 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 defense, despite having Will Anderson and a lot of other great players game on the line, couldn't stop LSU. In fact, once they went ahead, once Alabama went ahead, I believe four and a half minutes left, you know, and this has been a long time since I would say this about Alabama, but I assumed LSU would come back down the field and score. Like I didn't have any faith in them to stop them. Yeah. I, look, and I think what's, what's telling here as you look at this team is, 
there's games where, you know, they are lights out, you know, when they play really bad teams, you know, whether it's Louisiana Monroe or Vandy, you know, they, they took it to Leach's team a couple of weeks ago. They, I, I don't even think they scored more than six points. Right. But then you see them, just like they look just very vulnerable in the secondary. You know, that was that's Pete Golding's thing. That's certainly Saban's thing. And it's surprising just because the standard has been so high. And, um, you know, look, I, I would I would not go out predicting, oh, they're never going to win another national title again. You know, like we're going to talk in a, probably a couple of minutes about Clemson. And I think you and I probably feel similarly about that. But like... If I was an Alabama fan, I'd be disappointed and I'd be down, but I wouldn't be like, oh, the game has passed him by or, you know, because like every year Nick Saban shakes up his staff significantly. I imagine he will reshuffle in two months and the balance will probably be right. You know, you're going to lose really good players. You're going to lose, like I said, what I think is the best offensive and the best defensive player. Um, And you're going to lose, you know, but – and I don't know if that means they're going to be like, we'll get to Georgia in a minute because Georgia doesn't seem to be slowing down at all. If anything, they're getting more momentum. So it's, it's like, I think people are going to have the temptation to be writing off that. Okay. This is, we've seen the last of the Nick Saban dynasty because people have been waiting to say that for right. so long. I mean, I'm not going to do that now. You know, I just think this team which we, again, we saw it at Texas. Then we saw it again, the Texas A&M. Um, it, it's, it's more flawed than most of the other teams have been that they, that he's had. I'm not going to write the obit on the dynasty by any means, but I think in, you know, after the statement Georgia made yesterday, after the statement they made in the national championship game last year, after the statement they made against Oregon, like, I don't, I do think that Georgia is now, the standard bearer in that conference. And we, Alabama has been that program for 15 years. Uh, the juggernaut Kirby has built in Athens is built to stay, is my opinion. Like LSU won the national title in 2019 and then went right back away, right? Like that wasn't, that was like, take your best shot at Alabama. Alabama came back the next year and had pro- their most dominant team of the whole thing in 2020. This does feel like a changing of the guard. Um for Georgia to lose 15 guys to the NFL draft, including eight starters off that defense, come back and be this good again this year is Alabama-esque. It really is. Um, I, you know, egg on my face. I picked Tennessee. I got caught up in the hype. Uh, this was a, I mean, credit to Kirby Smart in that program. They just smashed them in the face. And this offense that had been absolutely unstoppable to that point, uh, the receivers couldn't get open. Hendon Hooker got sacked six times. They committed seven false start penalties. Kudos to the people at Sanford Stadium. Uh, I mean, I'm just going on a limb right now and say, I, I don't, it would be, uh, it would be, I don't want to say shock, but it would be very surprising at this point if somebody other than Georgia wins the national championship. Ooh, that's a lot of, lot of, lot of big talk in there from you. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's going to be crazy to say because my preseason pick of, of, of Ohio State did not. They were struggling against a woeful Northwestern team in, you know, in really bad weather. But still, um, and you're sitting there thinking, I'm thinking out loud as I say this, because Hendon Hooker was on fire going into last week. They have really good receivers. Their offensive line is experienced. Um, and yet here I'm thinking Ohio State, which, I mean, I don't think C.J. Stroud is was any hotter than Hendon Hooker was. I do think the receivers are a little better than Tennessee's because they're deeper. Um I think their backs are a little better, but I think I think there's a lot of I thinks going on there. I don't know if I think their their defense is like 
it's it's not like Jim Knowles has come in there and done a really good job, but who have they played? I wouldn't be shocked if Ohio State were to were to be able to beat them. You know, like I would. Really? In fact, I'm gonna You'd be I'm gonna... shocked. So basically, if I said to you, what would you yeah? Bruce, I, mean, I you know why you're saying all this? You were at the Texas, I mean the TCU game. You probably didn't see any of the Ohio State Northwestern game. I did. I actually oh, saw okay. a bunch of it. It was in bad weather. They played like crap. Look, they're playing it. Here's the thing. They are playing a team, and this is me making excuses for them, which I probably shouldn't be doing, but like they're playing a one-win team at a place that's like going into a doctor's office in terms of the environment of playing at whatever um, whatever the stadium your alma mater plays in, Ryan Field, or it's Ryan Field, right? Yes. Um, there's no atmosphere. The weather's crappy. You know, I think... I don't know. I just feel like that is a tough team to get up and play for. And look, I thought Pat Fitzgerald and the staff did a good job of, of slowing them down. I would not write them off because they played pretty a pretty crappy game against a you know probably the worst team in the Big Ten who can play in an environment like that. I just think it's kind of a you know they still won. I think you are making the mistake that some people made about Alabama. I don't think you're seeing the cracks. I think that CJ Stroud and that offense. Well, I'm seeing the cracks up, too. I'm seeing the cracks. They put up such big numbers against crappy teams that I think people get sucked in a little bit and don't notice some things. For instance, they were losing at Penn State early in the fourth quarter of that game and they could not run the ball. Fast forward to, and then of course, you know, the once in a lifetime performance by a defensive player and they end up, it ends up looking a lot more decisive than it was. And then, okay. So yes, they were playing that game in like 50 mile an hour wins. CJ Stroud put up terrible numbers, but it was hard to pass, but they couldn't really run the ball either. And that was, that's shocking to me because well, Northwestern's no, no, defense is no really, really bad. No Travion Henderson yesterday, and Mayan Williams was just getting you know back from being injured the week before. So I think that is worth noting. I mean, did the you Ohio see any State did, Michigan? Did you game. see any? Did you see any cracks when Georgia barely beat Mizzou? Yeah, well, I, I think we're past that at this point. Okay, I'm just I saying. Mean, like, I, I think like if if that the difference is the Ohio State stuff is now. And look, I, they could turn around next week, and and they probably actually will crush Indiana and. And you won't think twice about this again. But let me ask you this. The Ohio State-Michigan game or this coming weekend, who would you pick? Uh, where's the game? If it's still in Columbus? It's still in Columbus. I would I would still pick Ohio State. I have been thinking all season, well, the game's in Columbus, so Ohio State will win. But I'm starting to think that Michigan is just playing the better team. They don't Maybe. mess around like that. They were late, Like yesterday, they were losing at halftime to Rutgers. And they ended up winning the game 52 to 17. Like they, in fact, I would say like what happens if the Ohio state Michigan game is 30 mile an hour wins, like Michigan's offense travels. Michigan's better. built Michigan's yeah. built to do that. Yeah. yeah. I know. I, I agree. Um, so the, all this is a way of saying like, even if Ohio state does beat Michigan and get to the playoff, I just think Georgia's on another level from them. And I think they're on another level from frankly, everybody else that's going to be in that thing. So let me ask you, I like to play percentages with you. If I said to you, what percent chance do you think Georgia will win the national title? Would you say 80? I'll say 75. Wow. Yeah. Look at what they've done this season. I mean, at this stat, I had these, I've, I've used this stat in like three different places. Oregon. So Oregon loses 49 to three to them. And you're thinking, uh, Oregon sucks. Oregon, since that game, has averaged 48 points a game. So, okay, that might have had a little bit to do with Georgia. Tennessee was averaging 49 points a game going into yesterday. Georgia held them to one touchdown, and it was a garbage time end of the game touchdown. Everybody keeps saying, oh, they're not quite, this defense isn't as dominant as last year's. It kind of is. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is dominant defense. And then, I mean, Stetson Bennett was great yesterday. And well on his way to a huge game. And then the rain came down and Kirby smart decided he Kirby smart is still a defensive coach at heart. And as soon as the rain came down, he's like, we're just going to run the ball and 
take time off the clock. So that's how you end up with kind of a deceiving 27-13 score. They weren't going to stop Stetson Bennett. Can we move on to the the program that I think – I don't want to – we're not eulogizing it by any stretch, but Clemson uh, yes. got absolutely smashed by a Notre Dame team that has had a really weird year, right? They gave Ohio State pretty much all they're going to handle for a while. Then they, you know, they lost to Marshall. They beat they're the only team that's beaten North Carolina. You know, they lost to a horrible Stanford team, and yet, in you know, aside from the Stanford thing, they actually played pretty well with a backup quarterback and not a lot of depth at skill guys, and they absolutely annihilated Clemson yesterday. I mean, it just kind of, I don't know, it just kind of. It's stunning to see how much Clemson has struggled, right? They, they only had 281 total yards. They were yo-yoing quarterbacks. You look at Clemson, um, I, I don't know. It's like you said this, and I, I kind of tend to agree with you, and you said, I don't think they're going to win another national title under Dabo. I don't know when we first started talking about that, but I definitely see that. You know, it just seems like they are really backsliding. The weird thing is that the offense that was so bad last year was starting to look pretty good um, up until that Syracuse game. They played very well. DJ played very well against Florida State, 15 and 23 for 203 yards, three touchdowns and no picks. Um, Will Shipley was was having an impact. And then starting with that Syracuse game, DJ turned it over like crazy and they ended up pulling him for Klubnik. And then same exact thing against Notre Dame. He's struggling. They bring in Klubnik, and here's where it gets alarming. So you always kind of felt like, well, if DJ goes in the tank, at least they have the, the great freshman backup. The great freshman backup comes in and on his first pass is backpedaling into the end zone and throws an interception that that um, Notre Dame then turned uh, scored to go to up 21-0. Back comes DJ. DJ throws a pick six. So now you're not feeling good about either option. And look, they're they're not playing the world's toughest schedule down the stretch, but I mean Louisville's been playing very well. I wouldn't, I wouldn't that's who they play this week. So um yeah, I don't even even when they were undefeated, right? Even as they'd gone through the season, you didn't watch Clemson and think, Oh yeah, they're still on the same level as Georgia and Ohio State and whatnot. I don't think they're terrible, but they're not where they were in the uh Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne days by any means. You know what's interesting about that is they're recruiting. Their recruiting hasn't, like at least by the recruiting rankings part, hasn't changed at all. If anything, you look at some of the talk, the talent they've stockpiled. It's for whatever reason, either the pieces don't come together um, or they haven't quite developed in some areas. They've never had a great offensive line. That has definitely been a concern. But you're looking at this team, by the way, in what you said, Six-point win at, at Florida State, six-point win against Syracuse, six-point win at Wake Forest. I mean, they – I don't want to say they were skating by, but they were – you know, they were looking f- very flawed, which I think we all thought they might be. What's also interesting is you look at some of the Dabo guys now who are now running their own programs. Jeff Ooh, Scott. It's not going well. Mightily at USF. Tony They Elliott. got their butts kicked by USF I – mean, by Temple yesterday. I- Temple, yeah. I would imagine Jeff Scott will be back at Clemson next year in some capacity. No, Tony Elliott really struggled in his first year at UVA. Yeah, first year. Brent, Brent Venables, five and four uh, at Oklahoma. That has certainly been a disappointing run where I feel like all those pieces, you know, together worked very well individually. Um, you know, I feel like this is one of those things where I think they're, they've lost something from some of those guys who've moved on and it's showing. Well, another big one, and I've been saying it all offseason, is he refuses to use the transfer portal, right? And so, yes, you said the recruiting hasn't tailed off. True. But you don't always hit on every recruit. They have a lot of receivers who were four or five-star guys who just aren't turning into that. And that's where Nick Saban or somebody would recognize that and go into the portal and get somebody. Uh, Dabo did not. But most notably, after the season DJ had last year where he was – like the 106th ranked passer. I mean, I think most teams would have gone out and find an experienced uh, uh, transfer to at least, you know, at least bring some competition into that room. And who's the perfect example of that? Who guy who we were just talking about before? 
Brian Kelly. Remember how surprised people were when he got Jaden Daniels because they had experienced quarterbacks in that room already. But he must have looked at it in the spring and said, yeah, we could do better. Well, also, I think one thing that's interesting is I'd always heard this with David Cutcliffe where he had such loyalty to his guys that he did not want to bring in somebody else that he felt like not that they're just competing with them, that it was almost that he was hesitant to do that. Um, in the case of, you know, you had DJ, which he knew what he had. And then you certainly had Klubnik, who every person in the recruiting process gushed over. And so I think the idea of who am I going to, you know, like, Sue, the thing I would wonder about in retrospect is which quarterback would are you bringing into Clemson where you're saying, okay, we got this five-star guy who, while he struggled in his first year, did beat Notre Dame the year before. And then we got this other five-star guy waiting in the wings. I'm not saying if, if, if dangled that to Jaden Daniels, Jaden Daniels would have picked those Tigers over the LSU ones. But I don't know how many quarterbacks would have been like, yeah, I think I'm going to go in there knowing I'm a long shot to win this job. I mean, I don't know how realistic that is. What's interesting to me is just looking back at this, the nucleus of this team is actually higher ranked than what the national titles were. You know, if you look at the 2020 recruiting class that Clemson had, it was number three in the country. You know, that's if you look at the go back and then you see uh, 2022 ranked number five in the country. 2021 ranked number five in the country. Like these are stronger recruiting classes than the ones that, you know, led to the first couple national titles that Dabo got. That's yeah. Yeah. Um, it is. I, I don't have any great example off the top of my head for you, but I definitely have can remember teams and coaches where success opened the door for them to sign higher ranked recruits, but that didn't, necessarily make them better sometimes it makes them worse sometimes it makes them worse because are they still i mean Dabo's thing is all about he has a very unique program and you got to be a fit for that program and i i'm not i don't know i'm not there every day to know this but did maybe some of those higher ranked recruits come in with a you know a, a different kind of work ethic or a different kind of attitude than the guys who were there before um, what's but i definitely those, think those classes that built up to the national title winning teams they were ranked around 15, 10, 11. Yeah. These classes that make up this team, they're three top five classes. They're like significantly better in recruiting cycles. We're still, at the end of the day, though, I mean, Clemson could still turn around, go 12 and one, win the ACC, though that UNC, possible UNC matchup looks tougher every week. But to get to the national, I mean, I guess my question is, during that run of, of playoff appearances, national championships, you had two very special quarterbacks on the field, Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence. And is this just what happens when the guy, the next guy in line doesn't pan out? You know, like if they had one of those guys as their quarterback right now, do they beat Notre Dame and they're right on track? But I think some of it's connected. Those other guys had, had elite receivers to throw to. Taj had elite receivers to throw to. You don't mm -hmm. see that out there right now, you know, and I think it's not just, yeah, that certainly is a big factor, but if you don't have the special guys outside, it kind of goes hand in hand, right? But they just well, guess who the receivers coach was on those great Clemson teams. Yeah, I know who he is. Jeff I mean, Scott. But, yeah, so <laughs> the guy who's, who's lost that, uh, some insane amount of games. At, at some USA. parts, you know, look, when, when Bobby Bowden started, his program started to teeter, it was because they lost the chemistry on that staff and some really good assistants had moved on to either their own jobs or whatever. And that's sometimes like Nick Saban is the one guy who has been able to thrive after losing or shoving out, nudging out, you know, assistance on good staffs. And I think it's all kind of connected, you know? So um, I did want to ask you this stuff because you've obviously written off Alabama and you made a, a, a good compelling point of why. Clemson, one loss team. Now they gotten, they just, it wasn't close yesterday. Um, mm -hmm. The resume is not going to have any great wins on it, right? You know, you got some, some, Wake Forest has fallen back. Syracuse has yeah. fallen back in a big way. NC State's popped up a little. They're seven and two. Yeah. You know, Florida State's six and three. You're going to get a Louisville team that's at least bowl eligible. And then after that, it's, it's dregs. Um, I think Clemson's done in the playoff okay. race. 
even if they went out. But I think where you're going is right. And, and I, I was racking my brain this morning trying to figure this out. If you're picking today, who are the four playoff teams? Uh, I would say it would be Georgia. I feel like one thing that happened indirectly, and I'm sure Tennessee fans thought about this. Yeah, they have wins. They have a win over Alabama. They also smashed LSU in Baton Rouge not that long ago. You know that win LSU winning that game was the best thing that could have happened to Tennessee. Tennessee's backdoor chances here. Yeah, because now all of a sudden, who is the next most like? Unless, unless, and I don't know. You know, I haven't thought this deep enough. But if LSU runs the table and they're sitting there at twelve, at twelve and two. Yeah, they would have a bad loss against Tennessee, but I don't, I don't see how Tennessee at eleven and one would leapfrog Georgia, having been beaten handily in Athens and being twelve and one. They wouldn't. So that's the only way I think Tennessee is probably backed out. Now, to me, having just seen TCU, I think TCU is a really good team. I still don't think TCU is going to be fourteen and zero. I think TCU you will keep giving will everybody an extra game here. I'm sorry, LSU wins now. the SEC, they will be 11 and two. And you don't think TC is going to go 13 and 0. And I agree yes, with you. Yes, yes. My math is off on Sunday morning. There you go. Um, so I will sit there and say, I still think Ohio State will come out of Columbus and they will be 13 and 0. It'll so be, be I your think two it'll seed. be Ohio State, Georgia. I think Tennessee will be a, a four seed. Are we ready this is to where it gets interesting. Are we ready to stick the Pac-12 team in there? I mean, right now, if you ask me, like... I think Oregon might do it. Who would have guessed this after week one? I think Oregon might do it. I'll tell you this. You I don't think it's going to be USC. Uh, I'm watching that Cal game last night. How on earth are they going to... Is that defense going to make it through UCLA? And if they win that and go to the Pac-12 title game, Oregon... That defense, the USC defense, I guess, early in the season created so many turnovers that it kind of masked it. They yeah. are bad. Well, what did you expect? They were the worst defense in the history of the program last year. And no, they got we... transfers, but they didn't get transfers. They didn't get Jordan Addison and, and Travis Dye kind of transfers. They got guys who were like, who really weren't playing at the programs they were at. This no, we saw it coming before the season. Neither of us thought USC was a playoff team coming into the season. But right now they're eight and one. They'll move up to seventh, no eighth this week. So like technically they're right in the mix. But I, I and look, Caleb Williams is phenomenal. They didn't have Jordan Addison get, or, or uh, Mario I Williams last night. They will get they will get Addison and Mario Williams back at least for UCLA. I feel fairly confident that they will be back by then. Um, so I've been debating this this morning, and I do. Th- I got now I have Michigan beating Ohio State. So. I've got Georgia number one seed, Michigan number two seed. And then I think Oregon, if they're a 12 and one Pac 12 champ, would be three. And then the fourth would come down to basically, if we think TC is going to lose, the fourth would then come down to 11 and one Ohio State or 11 and one Tennessee. And 11 and one Tennessee would have the better resume. No doubt. Um, Look, I think think 11 and one Tennessee is going to be the best 11 and one team out there now there are people listening to this right now who are fuming listening to us talk like this because tennessee got their butts kicked yesterday regardless what the final score said and i think in college football we tend to say well that's it they're done they were a fraud all along and what i have found is once the weeks pass now we're assuming tennessee turns around and plays well and wins out not a given but i think they will as the weeks go by, as you get further removed from it, like that's not going to, I don't think that's going to, um, that's not the kind of loss that eliminates you because Georgia's that good. I mean, we're talking about putting Oregon in and they lost 49 to three. Yeah. So, they lost a lot worse. Yeah. But Oregon I mean, is going to, if Oregon I... wins out, they're going to have top 15 wins over UCLA. Utah's coming there. They're in the top 15 right now. Uh, and then either, and then whoever makes the Pac-12 title game. So that's going to be, a, in the grand scheme of things, a pretty good resume. I also think, listen, let's give credit to Tennessee for this. Um, they have a dominant win at LSU, who's a top 10, probably top six team right now. They beat Alabama, which even if it's not a great Alabama team, it's still Alabama, and they're still going to be a top 
12 team. They smashed Kentucky, which, yeah, they're, they're not great, but their Kentucky's going to probably be in the top 25. So those are like a couple of those are beyond quality wins. What they did to LSU, where it was, that's not just a quality win. That is a one of the better wins somebody's going to have on their resume. So, you know, if I was a Tennessee ball fan, you know, I'd still feel pretty good. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second. But now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So, post your job for free at linkedin.com audible. That's linkedin.com audible to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. All right, Bruce, man, I feel bad for TCU. They always just get like, like dismissed in these conversations. They are nine and zero. you were there for their game against Texas tech. You just mentioned in passing. Basically you don't think they're on that. You don't think they're going to go 13 and zero. but what did you learn about them? Uh, you know, Sonny Dykes has it rolling there. Like I got to spend, I went to practice on Friday morning, got to spend a bunch of time around the place and him. And I think there's good frontline talent. Obviously, you know, they have a lot of speed as they have as much speed as anybody else does. What I don't know if they have is once you get past like from one to 30, I think they're really good. I think there's a drop off. Like you look at the receiver room. And they have Quentin Johnston, who's our freak guy. Well, Quentin Johnston rolled an ankle last week, and he played through it. And then this week, uh, his ankle kind of tweaked it in the beginning of the game. And he basically played, like, the first series, and that was it. And then he was he was uh, shut down. And you can tell that they definitely missed him. I mean, D. Davis is blazing fast. He's the kid who had the punt return for the touchdown. And he uh, just basically start the game. And they have Tay Barber, but after that, maybe one or two guys on the bench, and it's not a deep group. It's talented on the front end, but I think that's a little indicative, you know. And so you see Kendra Miller, who's a really good running back, who's kind of like overshadowed at times by the hype around Zach Evans, but he's he may be maybe better. I don't think it was a great day for Max Duggan. There were some times where it just looked like, um, you know, I think he wasn't seeing it the way he normally does. I mean, I'll say this. Max Duggan, they run him a lot. He takes big hits. He took a huge one right near us on the sidelines. And, I mean, like, it's a really good offensive team. I think they, they're they shaky on defense. You know, Texas Tech gave them, gave them some problems yesterday. It was a tight game. I think, you know, what, what what's interesting well, to watch. There, actually, one of their know, better defensive games. Like, they – this wasn't a wild shootout. It was no, but you got to remember, like Tech is, you know, Tech's starting quarterback got knocked, you know, knocked out of the game. Baron a Moore, recurring theme against it. TCU, by the way. Yeah, and like started, the other team's is, quarterback always gets knocked out of the game. What's What's interesting is you go from the Gary Patterson program, which you know there's a statue of him. He did an amazing job there, but like just in terms of like taking a step back and kind of going into a practice. And I've been to a bunch of TCU practices over the last like dozen years, you know, occasionally you might hear like seventies rock music or maybe even Gary's own personal music that he plays or, you know, like that was him performing. 
Um, and here it was like stuff that was more in line with probably what the players would be listening to on their own. And I just felt like it was a, it was a much more, um, looser vibe around the team and the players are responding to it. You know, it's just, I don't want to say it was totally night and day going from, you know, Gary to Sonny, but it is a dramatically different vibe. And I think the players are responding. And I think, I don't doubt that they will recruit really well. Like Gary evaluated really well. I think they have a way bigger presence now in that DFW area where there's a ton of talent. Like if you, I, I would suspect this is, there are going to be a lot of top 10 teams that, are, that Sonny Dykes is going to have there because he seems to be not just wow. a really good fit for that, but I think, you know, you and I talked about this a couple of weeks back about when Scott, the kind of the demise of Scott Frost at Nebraska and, what happened at UCF. And I, I, it kind of got me thinking that so much of the coaching hires is when you get hired and who you replace. Cause sometimes the message, maybe people are more receptive to it depending on what the dynamic was before. Right. So Scott Frost hit the ground running because he followed George O'Leary and George O'Leary was like kind of a really under your thumb guy and the players responded to the freedom of that Frost and that staff gave. Gary Patterson's, you know, way, I think Sonny Dykes is different enough where he knows what how to accentuate certain things and he knows how to how to how to embrace other things. And I think that players respond to that. And that's why I feel like, you know, knowing what the Big Twelve is gonna look like, knowing what the recruiting footprint like, and it's a really you know, you've been to TCU and you I think you've probably seen the news, you know, like what the stadium's yep. like now. I mean, they have a lot to sell, and I could see why the message is playing well. I think this is a, you know, my gut is their margin for error isn't big enough where, you know, whether it's Texas or, you know, you know somebody may, I think, get them. You know, I think maybe they got to go to Baylor, they got to go to Texas, and then Iowa State, who, you know, usually will play everybody hard. I mean, none of those three games are gimmies before the Big 12 title game. My guess is somebody will get them, you know, but they're they're a fun team to watch especially if they get quentin back at 100 percent or close to it he's a big problem and that is a you know he makes that receiving core that much more scary well they're going to texas this week primetime game i think it'll be the toughest game they've had so far this season uh texas came out and had a dominant first half against kansas state yesterday then do did what they usually do which is let the other team back in it but they did they did hold on and win, but okay. So I want to bring up a, something that happened in this game you're at yesterday. Um, it was TCU had just scored to go. They were down 17, 13. They put together a nice drive. They're up 2017 early fourth quarter. Texas tech has the ball fourth and two at their own 36 down three points. And Joey McGuire, who is a big, big analytics guy. Sam Conn wrote about that earlier this year. I guess the chart said, go for it. So he did. They didn't get it. They get stopped at their own 36. TCU, three plays later, scores a touchdown. They're off to the races. Gus Johnson, who I love when Gus calls a game, before I crap on him, uh, you know, I love listening to a game Gus Johnson calls. He's, he's, you know, he makes the moment big. But it was bizarre. He went on a rant about analytics. It's clear he has, he has no, no love for the people who do analytics. And it was just so over the top. Like, if you disagree with the decision, that's fine. But he was like, and I have some exact quotes here. Uh, analytics, throw them in the garbage, was one of them. And then he said, um, after that, I think he was still stuck on this well into the next series. Um, it's a bunch of guys in their basement telling, or no, he didn't say base, a bunch of guys who've never played a, the game telling the players and coaches how they should play and coach the game. And it's just like Moneyball was almost 20 years ago now. Are we really still doing this? Um, and I've noticed that this is not, this has been happening a lot this season. I don't know. It's like, it's kind of like the year RPOs became a thing. And all of a sudden every announcer felt like they had to mention RPOs, even they weren't really sure what they were. Like every announcer feels the need to mention analytics, but they don't actually know what they are. And they are very dismissive of them. And so this came up again last night in the, uh, USC Cal game. Um, Cal Cal is down fourteen, and they score to cut it to eight. 
and they go for two. And Dave Pash and who's this color guy? I can't remember. Dusty Dvorak and Tommy. They Lee. are they are beside themselves. What is he doing? How? Why on earth is he going for two? Da 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 da. Well, that is actually a pretty uh, tried and true analytics thing. That if you're down fourteen and you want to win the football game, and two and two point, I mean, two point conversions are basically like 50-50. You go for it the first time. And if you get it, then you can go down and score a touchdown and kick in a PAT and win. And if you don't get it, you still have the chance to tie it with a two-point conversion on your second attempt. I'm not saying most coaches don't do that, but it is not like an unheard of thing. So, Bruce, what do I got to do to get for the, the nation's- for the For the record, I am I am a fan of the Dusty and uh, Dusty. Oh, yeah, those guys are good. Go. Don't get me wrong. But, boy, they. what I'm trying to say is – Analytic, like all these coaches use it to varying degrees. Uh, that Sam Con story I mentioned it looked at this one particular company. These CAI, yeah. I mean, like I remembered seeing that LSU used it heavily when Ogeron was there. It's a it's a book that is updated, tailored to your opponent and your team every week. So it's like you're getting fresh data all the time. And most coaches, I don't think, swear by it and say, Hey, we're gonna go down every decision they tell us what the percentages are because you can't really do it right. that way. But it's that's that was the nature of CAI. And a lot. So in other words, it's a it's a big part of, of a lot of these programs. And so I think you need to educate yourself on it. Right. I think it's like the rule. Right. You know, and this came up in the a couple of times in the LSU. There were a couple of calls in the LSU Alabama game that where the rules expert had Fowler and Herb Street completely puzzled. They had me puzzled too. The one where the guy was out of bounds was well. The one there was one in that game where I think it was that game. Maybe it was the maybe it was the Luganville game. I'm trying to remember where. No, it was that where it was. It was uh, ESPN or ABC's rules expert talked about whether the ball was tipped, and he went yeah. in and said conclusively that it was. And Fowler, which I kind of agree with, was like, "Can you really? How are you so sure? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah." So. Yeah, no, they got a little testy there. But before that was the weird play where Alabama fumbled and it sure looked like LSU had recovered, but Cameron Latou got his hand on it while being out of bounds and that caused it to be dead right there. Um, my point is they have these rules that every TV network now has a rules expert to come in and explain to you the rules. Oh, please tell me you're not like saying they're going to have an analytics person to pop up for this. Please say no. I don't think it has to be a person. No, I think there's no, I'm not saying they need a person. Well, first of all, I'm saying that everybody needs to go to a big seminar and learn more about this stuff so they can talk about it more, more, uh, from an educated standpoint. But I also don't know why it would be that hard. It's not like, um, these, these fourth down decisions are a state secret. They're on the internet to so just pop it up on the screen. Okay. Are they going to go for it? Or are they not going to go for it? Well, the book says 42% chance in this situation, 42% chance, blah, blah, blah. They should go for it. You don't need an expert to come in and explain it. Just have a little graphic pop up on the screen. Instead of this, oh, I don't Gosh, what are they doing? The analytics must be saying something, but I don't agree with it. Yeah, I don't know if I want that much more, that much more intel on showing up on my screen for that. And by the way, I'm not by any means a, you know, like the thing Gus was really ticked off about was momentum. They had the momentum and they blew it. A lot of analytics people don't believe in momentum. Don't believe that's a real thing. I do. If you've ever been in a college football stadium and 100,000 people are yelling at you, it has an effect. Uh, you saw that in the Tennessee game. But I'm also not, you know, but I also believe that the math is sound and and you shouldn't just dismiss it like that. So that's my rant for today's podcast. Um, I'm sure I'll be ticked off about something else next week. Uh, we should probably do some shout outs. All right, Stu. Um... Mine is going to be, a, I think, a kind of an obvious one. I was watching, a, following along this game on the flight. Tanner Mordecai, SMU quarterback, yes. tied her F- FBS record with seven first-half touchdown passes. At one, point, um, at one point, I think SMU had more points than plays, and they were both in the 60s, right? So they, they had a wild shootout with Houston. They won 77-63 just an amazing day for the former Oklahoma QB. 
That game was crazy. Somehow it was on the NFL Network. I'm not really sure how that happened, but NFL Network uh, has games every week. It usually fits into that. But that was usually they're like Conference USA or Sunbelt. This was the yeah. first ever AAC game. I think ESPN sold it to them. Um, so I didn't. I'll be lying. I'd be lying if I said I saw much of it. But it was definitely uh, getting a lot of buzz. And I actually watched part of Dana Holgerson's post game press conference just to see how he reacted to it. He was on the winning end, if you recall, of a seventy to sixty three game, West Virginia over Baylor. I was at that game. Were you really? Yeah. I, I remember, remember that being like a kind of like a whoa, whoa moment in terms of the, you know, the way offenses were going in college football. My my recollection of that game was it was a wild Geno game going on. And I went up to the press box to either see Oliver Luck or Bowlesby. I forgot what. And I was like, all right, there's 25 seconds left. I'm going to leave the West Virginia sideline, go up to the press box. And in that like 25 seconds, I got like, and I took all the stairs all the way up. And about halfway through, I heard a loud roar, and I'm like, are you kidding me? This Baylor scored again? And it was just like, you know, that kind of a day. If you get a chance, go on YouTube, load up Dana's press conference. He sits down, somebody hands him the stat sheet, and he stares at it. I, the, I'll just repeat the line I used in, in Final Thoughts. It's like somebody's looking at their bank statement and realizing that they've, they've gone to $0. He just had this look on his face of like, I cannot believe that happened. They TC they only stopped um, SMU from scoring on one possession the entire game. Uh, I'll go a little more obscure with my shout out. The Ohio Bobcats are kind of near and dear to my heart, Bruce, and here's why. Uh, when I was applying for colleges as a as a high school senior in Cincinnati, uh, I OU was one of my choices because they have a good journalism school. One of my best friends from high school went there. Um, Frank Solich was there for a long, long time. Had a lot of success. Suddenly retired, like, in the middle of the offseason last year. They handed the reins to Tim Alvin, and it could not have gone much worse. They went 3-9 and nine last year, um, ending a long streak of bowl seasons. And it was like, oh, my God, what a disaster. Well, they are bowl eligible already this season. They are 6-3. and three. He's turned things around there in a hurry. Remember Nathan Rourke? Of course, and I know his, uh, yeah, a star in Canada. Yeah, well, now his brother is the star quarterback for the Bobcats. Um, even I think getting some whispers about being a possible NFL prospect. So kudos to them. Yes. And kudos to you for spotlighting a school that you may not, you dreamed of going to, but didn't get into and have moved past. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it came down to Northwestern and OU. Um, I think I might've applied to Indiana too, because they had a really good journalism school. Uh, you know, it worked out the way it was supposed to, um, all, all things considered. Your alma mater, both of our alma maters could not be much worse at football right now, by the way. No. I mean, one, one of our alma maters I know will recruit well and will will get a lot better at this. Well, one, right of, your, one of our alma maters has has uh, John Ruiz uh, sitting there ready to, to, to build up a recruiting chest. But my goodness, 49-3. Yeah, yeah, against look, Florida State. Good on Mike Norvell and that staff. They took their lumps early, and their team played hard. And I, you watched, I watched that game. I don't want to get into this too much more, but like, man, they look like they played so much harder than Miami. You watch the effort from the running backs. You watch the effort from the offensive line. Um, places that were really depleted when for a while for that program. So um, it was rocky for Mike Norvell all the way into it. And I thought this was a good one. Like if I was in Miami, you know, like person inside that program and be like look miami's miami's had some some ass whoopings before and it usually you know, at some point they get it figured out mario will recruit well i imagine they, they will they will have better days but it's going to be it is going to be a while it's going to be a yes little while. they all have better days um but just not a great first impression for mario who's always had his critics people think he can recruit but can't coach so um, and Norvell, like, remember they lost that game to NC State, um, 19 to 17. That could have easily gone the other way. Like, I think, I think Florida State is pretty good this year. I th assume they'll move back into the rankings this year, week, but pretty low down them. They end at Syracuse, who is reeling now, Louisiana, and the Florida Gators, who got a big win uh, at Texas AM. It'll be interesting to see how that finishes up. 
This week, by the way, Bruce, aren't you so glad we we recorded late Tuesday night to react to those rankings only for the rankings to get completely blown up uh, a few days later? That's we'll come back for our too. second episode of the week and we will answer your email questions. Send them to the audible pod at gmail.com and we will see you next time. Thank you.